Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This message is from our series on Philippians 2.5 from Pastor Bill Clark. So today we're beginning a series on the identity of us as a church and as Christian people. Um, what, what is it that forms our identity as followers of Jesus? And so we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Today I'm going to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But we'll be dealing with this first verse, this have this attitude, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In a minute I'll read the whole text. So today we want to look at what this attitude means. What is the attitude of Jesus? What would it be like if we as a church and as individuals had the attitude of Jesus? So we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this text, we see the sort of the DNA of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In this text, which is called by scholars the great Christological hymn, because they know that this text was actually a hymn, a song that was sung by the early church. This is the essence of what they believe to be true about Jesus and about what happened in this amazing thing called the incarnation. But we'll start at the top. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what was the attitude of Jesus? I want to argue this morning that the attitude of Jesus can be defined by two specific words that are blended together. Humility and confidence. Humility and confidence. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Last spring, I bought a new lawnmower. And um, we live out on a little farm in Coweta. We just have a few little acres. And we live next to some people we know, a Redeemer person, and we kind of share equipment and help each other, although I'm perfectly useless at that. And I want to make a, a confession to you. I have probably never read an instruction manual on a piece of equipment in my entire life. Now, you may be tempted to think, well, that must mean he's really mechanical and he doesn't need to read the manuals. There's not a word of truth in that. I am not mechanical. I don't know how to fix things. And obviously, I don't read the manuals. So I had this mower 
that came uh, to me new, and I needed to put oil in it. Simple job, right? So I, I filled it with a lot of oil, a whole lot of oil. And I started it up, and it's, it's mowing well for, oh, three laps around the yard. And then suddenly this white smoke just starts billowing out of the lawnmower. I mean, it was amazing. It, was, it, was, it would have been pretty if it weren't so disastrous for the lawnmower. And Al Howerton, who sat there in the first service, laughs about it still, but he saw the white smoke. He's a neighbor, and he jumped in his truck and came down to my rescue. And a guy named Fred, who lives next door to Al, he came down in his truck, blazing down the trail to come rescue poor Bill, because he's done it again. And they, they, they asked me, well, they stopped the mower, of course, and then they asked me, golly, how much oil did you put in there? And I said, about five quarts. And they looked at the manual, and it said 16 ounces. You do the math. Um, I learned my lesson that day. I really, really learned my lesson that day that it's a smart thing to actually look at a manual, though I'm too impatient to think that that's necessary. I wonder how many people start out in the Christian life Believing in Jesus, attending a church, uh, reading the Bible, but wonder, really wonder, what is at the very beginning of this process attitudinally that's supposed to begin to happen to us when we grow in our relationship with Jesus? What happens to all of the attitudes that we've had? What happens to those? And what are the essential attitudes? that are part of the Christian life. I would, I would argue that Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that raises the very question, have, what is your attitude? Have this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe what happened to have Jesus leave his place in heaven, to come and to become a human being, to be one of us, so that he would be tortured and eventually killed for having done so. What was in his attitude that made that happen? And I want to pause it again here. I believe it's both humility and confidence. Think with me again about the incarnation. Jesus lived in a perfect relationship, in the perfect place, He lived with his Father and the Holy Spirit in a trinity of perfect relationship, um, indescribably loving, supportive, communication that, that was never strained, communication that was always understood. I mean, it's mind blowing to think about that relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in the Council of the Godhead, There is this conversation which we were not privy to, but had to have happened, where perhaps God the Father initiates the conversation and he says, Jesus, it's it's time. It's time now. And Jesus' understanding in this perfect act of communication what the time meant 
The time meant that it was time for him to leave this perfect place, to take on human likeness, to become a human being, to actually know what it's like to be a human because he was human. And he came to this earth knowing full well what he was facing, knowing full well what was going to be happening to him. Rejection and pain and suffering and death and all of those things that the human family has experienced, he was going to experience. And so have this attitude which was yours in Christ Jesus. The only words to describe it are these two words of humility and confidence. First of all, let's take a look at what it means to be humble. C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking badly of yourself It's certainly not thinking too much of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. And Jesus discarded his thoughts about his privileged place in heaven. And the Greek in this language here, when it says he did not hold on to or grasp that which was already his, the Greek word there literally describes a scene of someone falling off a cliff and in falling grabs hold of a tree branch and then is just holding on for dear life. But it says he let go. He just let go. And he fell into this abyss of sin. There's wonderful things about it, but it's a place of sin. And it was that sin that Jesus died for. So humility, imagine what it took in terms of the humility. It can barely describe this sense of what he gave up, what he gave up to become something far less. One of the things that bothers me, frankly, and I confess my own guilt in this, but I, it bothers me about the contemporary church, the modern day, this, the church of the age in which we're living. We make heroes out of pastors and musicians. We make stars out of people. We have television programs and media and all the things that can be rightly used for the sake of the kingdom, but we also have a lot of pride. We just have a lot of pride in what we do. And though I want Redeemer to be healthily proud of what our mission is and on board with it, I hope we don't get to the place and I hope we haven't ever gotten to the place where where we're thinking we're somehow better than another church or that we're better than some other ministry or that we have all of the answers or that we are a perfect church. It's just not true. I hope we have humility. I hope we know that our spiritual mission is best carried out when we're humble people. Humility is at the core of the Christian point of view. To know that we are sinners saved by grace and that we follow a Savior who abandoned all he has, all he had, is all we need to know about humility. That's who we are as a people and that's who we are as a church. But there's a second word, and it's the word confidence. And it's odd when you put those two words together, we're called to have a humble confidence. It sounds like one of those words that they call an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. 
It, it doesn't seem like those two words go together, humble confidence. And yet Jesus came humbly, but he came confidently. He knew his mission. He knew God's mission for him. He executed the mission because he was confident that no matter what he went through, God the Father would never abandon him and he would never be alone. He would be with God. The only time he felt alone was when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me from the cross? And God answered him. And God redeemed him. And God raised him by his great power from the grave. We're called to have that kind of confidence. To proclaim confidently God's truth to not hide our light, but to invite, uh, to invite others to experience the love of God. We don't claim to be a better church. I think we've got a great new logo, but we're not saying we're a better church. We're claiming that we believe the gospel, and we believe the gospel is for people who are not yet a part of this church family. We believe we're a church for anyone who would wish to come. We believe we are a church who has a mission to reach people who don't have a church relationship, more importantly, don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we are here for them. And even more, we're here for people who maybe aren't exactly like us. We're for people who struggle. All of us struggle. But people who struggle from economic circumstances, like in Northwest Tulsa. For people who haven't had the privilege of a good education for people who need help and hope and love, for people who need support in life and they need tutors and they need friends and they need mentors and they need activities that are healthy and life-giving. That's what we're here for. That's who we're here for. And we are confidently evermore stepping out into that. We want to be humble and we want to be confident that we have a mission that will never fully be completed, and yet we are willing to march into that mission no matter what it takes. That's who we're called to be. There's one more passage of Scripture I just want to share that explains, I think, the, the tension, the, the combination of these two words, humble and confident. It comes from Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, and it's the story of the centurion. I realize I say this probably about every other sermon. This is my favorite passage of Scripture. I know I say that all the time, but I really mean it. This is my favorite passage of Scripture. The centurion comes up to Jesus. A centurion was a Roman soldier of high rank. They are the best trained, best soldiers in their day and time. These are disciplined people, well-equipped to fight the battles for Rome. And this centurion comes up to Jesus, and he says, My servant is back at my house, and he's paralyzed. Would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, Of course I'll heal your servant. And the centurion says back, and, and then Jesus says, of course I'll heal your servant and I'll, I'm coming right now to your house. Let's get this done. 
And Jesus has, or the centurion says to, the, to Jesus, you don't, you don't need to come to my house. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, before especially Holy Communion, there's, there's no, no better expression of faith Jesus commended the centurion for his faith. It's an amazing statement of faith. Jesus was perfectly willing to go to his house. Partly the centurion is asking him not to so that Jesus won't become defiled by entering into the house of a Gentile centurion member of the Roman army. It wouldn't have been good for Jesus' image. Jesus didn't care one bit about that. But he says, only say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says the word and the servant was healed in that very moment. As we come to the Lord's table this morning and as we share in the Lord's Supper, it's always well to to perhaps make a confession of some kind before you receive these elements, to examine yourself. And I'd ask you to think about the centurion I'd ask you to think about the words he says. Lord, I am not not worthy of this action you're going to perform for my sermon, for my servant. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. Just change the words just a little bit and say, Lord, I am not worthy to be your servant. But only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Would you pray with me? Oh God, in this manual of the scriptures that you've given to us, that all of us have failed to read or heed, Lord, we give ourselves to you in this act of communion. And we do examine our own souls, our own hearts, our own minds. And we confess silently to you those things which have separated us from others and have separated us from yourself. And so like the centurion, we say these simple words. Lord, I am not worthy. We are not worthy that you should enter under our roof but only say the word and our souls shall be healed we pray this in Christ's name Amen